please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 22nd of July, 2020. That means it's Morning Espresso again. Hello and welcome. As usual, a few quick reminders before we get going. Uh, we have the simultaneous translations available below. So you click on the button and you have various choices. Uh, I did notice that one of those choices is an English translation. Not sure how to take that I thought my English was not too bad but anyway there's an option there so uh, otherwise stick with us and uh, you can listen to all of this in English also feel free to send your questions um, you can do that in two ways either via the button below or you can send us an email um, and that's at nodiafunds at nodia.com and we will get back to you um, if you do send us any questions this morning, we are going to skip the macro piece that we usually do, but don't worry, I still have two guests for you this morning. I have Julie Bech and I have Oldhild Abo from uh, the Gen Global Gender Diversity Strategy, and they are both co-portfolio managers. Julie, this morning, is dialing in from Denmark. Julie, are you there? Can you hear me? I am here. Hi, Paul, and thank you for the invite. Hey, good morning. Good to see you. And Orthild is dialing in live from Norway. Orthild, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you for having us. So, Julie, as we've just established, you're based in Denmark, but actually you're in Copenhagen. And Orthild, you're actually in Bergen, because Bergen is the, the center for the, for the asset management business in, in Norway. Um, so clearly you've both been used to working remotely before the rest of us had to work remotely because of COVID. Um, how does that working together succeed when you're both in different countries? And, and perhaps you've got some great tips for us that you could share. Well, seeing how Nordea is an organization that spans several countries, we were already provided with excellent technological solutions even before the COVID-19 outbreak. Still, uh, working from two different locations so closely together was quite new for the two of us. But uh, fortunately, we have colleagues who have successfully worked from different countries and who could share valuable tips and insights with us how to best set up this operation. And I would say that uh, one of the main attributes to a successful cross-border collaboration is structure. Although structure is always important, it is even more so when you're not located in the same offices. So to ensure that we get the full potential out of our meetings, we always have a clear agenda so that we stay on topic and, uh, and so that we come prepared. Uh, also, uh, maintaining a good frequency of meetings is quite important. So we talk at least twice a week and sometimes even more often. 
And last but not least, I would say that flexibility is important because if something uh, urgent pops up, we need to be able to shift our focus and free time in our calendars to squeeze in an extra meeting now and then, at now and then again. <laughs> and yeah. for some, it might seem difficult to work from two different countries, but I think as the COVID-19 outbreak has um, uh, shown a lot of people there are a lot of good technological solutions out there and I think we will see a permanent shift towards more web-based meetings and less business travel and I think uh, more of corporate life will actually start to resemble the way that we actually work today. Great. I can maybe add on a more um, in regards to a more personal relation that I at least find that a bit of personal connection helps uh, the process smooth, uh, the process flow more smoothly. Uh, it actually helps to know uh, each other. It helps to know about each other's situation. Uh, if, if one of us is very busy with other work, uh, so the other one can actually step in instead of getting annoyed about a late reply or what have you. Um, this is not something that you can simply see when, when you are sitting apart. So you need to be very uh, vocal about it. So the, the Nordics um, are known for sort of being an egalitarian society. And, and of course, you're managing uh, a global gender diversity strategy, which, which addresses um, you know, topics that are quite dear to our heart as a Nordic, Nordic house sort of you know, diversity and inclusion. Can you tell us what you value in, in gender diverse companies? You know, what, what are their strengths? How do they compare to to companies that perhaps don't place as much emphasis on, on gender diversity? Um, the main reason why we value gender diverse companies is that we believe that there is a correlation between the level of diversity within a company and their success. And um, we can also find support for this hypothesis uh, within research. And the idea behind this is based on several reasons, and I'll just touch upon a couple of them. Uh, first of all, we know that uh, one of the larger competitive advantages for companies is their human capital. And that is also one of the um, competitive advantages, which is most difficult for the competition to copy. So by focusing on diversity, uh, a company is in effect expanding the talent pool, pool from which they recruit from. And in this way, they make sure they don't miss the best talent out there. Also, a lot of studies have found that companies that focus on diversity, they're often better at attracting the best candidates, developing this talent, and also making sure that this talent don't leave in favor of the competition. Um, furthermore, we see that diversity is quite often a result of a, a, an inclusive and supportive business culture. And this is a key point because we know that a positive corporate culture, it fosters different perspectives and it promotes collaboration. So when people feel comfortable voicing their opinions or sharing their viewpoints, corporations uh, can avoid serious pitfalls such as groupthink. And in turn, the companies are more likely to have improved uh, decision-making processes and even become more innovative. 
So to uh, sum up, I think um, the improved human capital and better decision-making processes, they're just two of the benefits that we, uh, we think companies can gain from focusing on diversity. Yeah, we, we were just showing a slide there. Can we go back to that slide maybe? Because uh, there were some interesting figures on there. I see in the center of the circle there, three numbers. And if I start at the bottom, 1.7 times the leadership strength, then one and a half times stronger growth culture. But one and a half, well, almost 1.4 sustained profitability growth. That's, that's quite a difference, isn't it? Absolutely. And uh, these are just numbers from some of the studies we have looked at when setting up this uh, product. Yeah, uh, super interesting. Good. All right. Um, so what can, can companies do? And, and maybe you can give a sort of concrete example here to, to promote and set up uh, a more inclusive and, and diverse uh, workplace. Well, there are already a um, lot of companies that acknowledge the benefits from diversity, but even so, we're still quite a long way from complete gender parity, especially from a corporate perspective. So, um, and even in Scandinavia, which is an area which is often recognized uh, for a high degree of gender diversity, there yeah, is quite. still a way to go before we reach full parity. And, there are several reasons for this um, and different countries, they face different obstacles. Uh, however, while some of these obstacles are perhaps rooted in political decisions or cultural history, there are some obstacles that companies can overcome themselves. And one such obstacle is uh, combating hidden biases. And this is a type of unconscious preference or attitude towards people, which can be really detrimental in a recruiting process and can ultimately lead to a low degree of diversity. Um, to give one example of uh, hidden biases, we can look at how the composition of top musicians has changed over the years. In the past, the common perception was that the best musicians were men. And as a result, there were quite, a f quite few women within the best orchestras. But if we look back to the 50s, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, they conducted an experiment trying to increase the number of women within their orchestra. And what they did is that they implemented blind auditions. And so in practice, the, uh, the musicians who came to audition, they actually played behind a screen so that the decisions makers had no idea of their gender. And the result was that more women made it through uh, the auditions. And by the 70s, a lot of other orchestras adopted this approach. And we saw an increase in the level of females among top musicians. Um, that is just one um, obstacle companies might have a, a possibility to combat. Uh, another perhaps more complex obstacle is the fact that corporations often point out that it is difficult finding candidates or qualified candidates of the minority gender when recruiting for uh, higher managerial positions, uh, which is uh, a bit 
maybe not surprising, but slightly, because uh, at least in Scandinavia, we see the percentage split between genders uh, within higher education is uh, close to 50-50, and it has been so for quite a few years, years already. So the fact that the split between genders is different when looking at the recruiting pool for higher managerial positions, it means that we are losing valuable talent along the way. And this is also reflected in, in several studies where they show that uh, um, the percentage of women or the minority gender, usually women, uh, decreases for each level higher you move up in the hierarchy. Uh, this issue might uh, require some, uh, some governmental um, uh, incentives uh, in order to facilitate uh, equal participation uh, for both genders. However, it does not mean that the companies can't do uh, anything themselves. Um, for, uh, for example, by increasing their focus on internal talent development, they can ensure that they have those qualified candidates of both genders at each level of the hierarchy. Yeah. So these are just a couple of the measures company can take uh, to promote a, a diverse workplace. And I do believe the corporations are starting to realize this and have started to implement the necessary changes. And those are the companies that we are looking for and investing in. Great. So, so obviously we talked about the, the Boston Orchestra and obviously that was music to my ears. It's my little joke. Maybe you could just explain to us a little bit about, you know, how, how do you go about selecting investments based on this gender diversity? And, and I guess the best way to do that is with an example that I think you've got some slides on. I actually do, Paul. Yeah. You can, you can show me the first slide. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't see it. Is it on? No, I don't. No, one second. Oh. Got some technical problems. That's what happens when you do things live. Maybe, maybe we can start I talking can, and yeah, we'll sort out start. the slide in a second. Yeah. Uh, computing is uh, becoming embedded in the world. It is in every place and everything. So for instance, if you are a software company like Microsoft, I guess we all know Microsoft, it is very essential that you innovate uh, to empower your customers um, and that you do that across your whole business. It is just as important to have diverse teams in place to drive this innovation. So when we select companies, um, First, we look at the level of gender diversity. Um, if the slides come up, uh, you will see, maybe I even can show you a bit of a picture since the technology is missing. <laughs> yeah, I like this. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. <laughs> you see the board of Microsoft? Uh, I, I, can, I can tell you that there are, um, we see that with five women and there's seven men. Uh, mm -hmm. The board lives up to our criteria for gender diversity. Um, and based on research, uh, we are interested in companies where gender diversity is uh, in at least one up the upper level and that it lies uh, above the critical mass. Um, besides gender diversity, we also look at ESG. Um, in regards to ESG, Microsoft is in the very top. Uh, they continue uh, to be among the strongest performers um, in, in regards to privacy and data security. Um, 
and also in regards to their personnel, they, they offer a very strong combination of uh, pay and benefits and professional development um, in order to continuously attract some of the industry's best talent. Um, however, despite of this, and actually similar to a lot of, uh, or maybe not a lot, but some of other the other tech peers, yeah, you could look at Google, Facebook, Oracle, for instance, the companies has actually faced some scrutiny for gender discrimination. So in, to improve in this area, um, Microsoft has taken proactive steps, such as providing uh, enterprise-wide uh, diversity training. If we also take the environment uh, aspect into account, this is also a part of the ESG, as you know. Um, Microsoft has made a very strong commitment towards reducing a carbon footprint in its organization. Uh, they actually aim to be carbon negative in 2030 and to remove their hist historical carbon emission by 2050. So along with 1,400 other companies, uh, Microsoft passes our standards uh, in regards to gender diversity and in regards to ESG. And as you can probably guess, uh, also in regards to liquidity. Now, it seems like the, the technique is up and running. So maybe yeah. we can go to the next slide. <laughs> I love the irony that we're, we're talking about Microsoft. Yeah, yeah, and it's exactly. <laughs> I think it's because we're on Zoom. They don't like Zoom. <laughs> Maybe not. <No. laughs> okay, and the next step of the investment process, uh, we apply a factor model. And here it's get, it gets a little bit more technical. Uh, but essentially, the model focuses on avoiding companies that are not offering uh, attractive risk uh, rewards. Um, in practice, what we do is screen away 75% of companies in each of sub-segments sub uh, that we have divided uh, the world into. Uh, Microsoft falls uh, in the segment of North American software companies, uh, which is the group uh, of companies that you see here. Um, companies are ranked between 1 and 100. Um, and as you can see, Microsoft has the rank number 19. Um, so it falls into the best quartile of North American software companies. Um, and this actually makes the company advance uh, to the next step of the investment process. Before we do that, uh, I would like you to actually take a look at the, uh, the picture in the upper right corner. It shows uh, the weight that the model puts under different factors uh, for North American software companies. You see that there are six factors. And you see that the weight changes over time. Uh, what you cannot see, but what I can tell you is that it also changes depending on, on which subsector you look at. Um, but for this group of companies, you can see that back in time, uh, value used to be the most important factor to look at, but that role has actually shifted recently. Now uh, that role has been taken over by the uh, quality factor. Mm -hmm. the, the table below, um, shows the uniform scores for each of the factors in the model. Uh, they're uniform between minus one and one. So if we look a little bit closer, you can see looking at Microsoft, um, the quality score lies in the, the best quartile. Uh, it has a score of 0 0.64. And the growth measure uh, of Microsoft lies in the best half with a score of 0 0.12. So in regards to rank, uh, the rank that is assigned to Microsoft, this means that 
Should Microsoft's uh, growth outlook improve or should the share price fall uh, back a little bit? All else equal, um, the rank of Microsoft would ultimately uh, improve. So in short, um, the factor model adds value by deselection and it is the interaction between the factors that drives uh, performance. So as you can see, Paul, what we do is we utilize quantitative tools to ensure in a very, very systematic way that we spend our time on selecting companies amongst a group of companies offering uh, most attractive risk rewards. And this group consists of around 350 companies. Okay. If we go to the last slide, uh, I will talk you to, through the last part of our process, yeah. which is where we actually uh, actively select companies for the fund. Besides from traditional bottom-up analysis, uh, we look behind the overall ESG score. I've always already touched a little bit upon that for Microsoft. Um, but we also look closer at how embedded gender diversity really is within uh, the company. And to help us assess this, um, we have made a gender diversity score which lies between zero and five. Uh, zero basically means that there is no gender diversity whatsoever, no policies, no nothing. Um, all white men, I guess. But if we look at, at Microsoft again, uh, they score a 2.68. Um, and maybe that number doesn't, ref doesn't mean that much to you, but it's not, um, it fits very well with the average uh, of, of the companies within our universe. Um, but this number has actually improved um, during the last year, few years as Microsoft has been working very hard to build a culture that values uh, diversity and inclusion. They were actually one of the early supporters of the United Nations uh, Women's Empowerment Principle in 2006. And in 18, they were one of the first companies to, to require vendors and suppliers in the US uh, to provi provide their employees uh, with a minimum of 12 weeks uh, of paid parental leave. So they have actually looked at this for a while, but there's not always been a concerted effort to actually help employees understand the connection between these diversity related actions and the fact that diversity and inclusion is a culture that Microsoft wants and actually needs to embrace throughout the company. That connection is what Microsoft is, uh, is working to establish and it is essential uh, for their ability to innovate uh, everywhere and for everyone. Um, I can maybe mention a story, um, uh, one of Microsoft's story uh, explaining where diversity has helped the innovation. Um, it connects to the, the blur feature within Microsoft Teams. I think maybe you are actually using it, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the feature that obscured the background um, yes, in video yeah. chats, yeah. And that was actually developed by a woman who was born deaf. Uh, the technology was created out of frustration uh, that the bright light uh, behind uh, her parents when she was uh, chatting to them actually made it harder for her to actually read lips. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that being forced uh, to work from home, some of us has also um, using Teams uh, actually used this even though we don't have a hearing disability. It has actually also proven useful for, for a lot of us trying maybe to hide or save a little bit of privacy. 
It's certainly working for me. I'm sat in my daughter's bedroom right now. And, uh, <laughs> then it's working perfectly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Excellent. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, that was... Um, if I just may add a little bit, yeah. uh, the way we use the gender diversity score, we use it in a uniform way. So, so we, we uniform it uh, so that we can actually compare it to, to comparable companies, um, companies that are in the same segment um, as Microsoft. Um, so we can we can better dis determine if they are above or below um, below average. And as you yeah. have probably guessed, we have invested in Microsoft in the fund. <laughs> we find that it yeah. offers very attractive uh, risk rewards, high ESG standards, and and they are working and improving to implement the gender diversity. Um, yeah. Good. So thank you. Um, we're running a little bit short on time, but there was one question I really did want to ask uh, before we end, and that was whether you think that the establishment of funds like this will, will ultimately help increase diversity in the, uh, in the corporate and financial world um, going forward. I think that is a really important question, Paul, and uh, my answer is without a doubt, yes. And I'll try to quickly uh, go through why we believe so. And I would like to draw the parallel to the trend we've seen in more established ESG parameters, uh, especially the ones that fall under the E or the environmental factor. Because it's, it's not that many years ago that the capital markets showed rather limited interest in sustainable investments. Um, investors didn't pay that much attention to ESG and green funds or impact investments had a rather poor reputation uh, performance-wise. And as a result, the companies didn't pay much attention to those factors either, um, especially from an investor relation uh, perspective. But as the population became more aware of the environmental challenges we are facing, they started to show more interest in ESG and sustainable investments. Um, and the demand for sustainable funds grew rapidly and large institutions picked up on this and we saw a huge growth in uh, sustainable products. Um, and as a result of this, uh, the pricing of the ESG best, uh, ESG wise best companies, it actually started to increase because the increased demand wasn't able to meet the surge we saw in demand. And we still see some of this effect in uh, some markets, uh, especially in Norway. Um, and the ESG pricing effect, it, it becomes particularly evident when companies raise new capital. Because when sustainable companies raise capital in the equity markets, they often find it much easier to raise their uh, required capital than less sustainable companies. And it's not just in the equity markets. Uh, there's also an increasing number of fixed income products. And we see that the cost of capital in the debt markets is also lower for the sustainable companies. And as companies have come to realize this, they have started to focus more on sustainability. And this is easily illustrated by the number of companies that now publish uh, sustainability reports compared to just a few years ago. But even though sustainable investments has become quite widespread, 
we see that it often puts most emphasis on the environmental factor and less so perhaps on the social and the governance part of the ESG. Uh, and I think this is quite natural um, or a natural consequence of the fact that the environmental parameters are a bit more established within uh, traditional sustainability thinking. But I think as uh, time goes by and people's understanding of uh, sustainability evolves, uh, I believe more focus will be paid to the social and the governance part of ESG as well, uh, among others, uh, diversity. And when this happened, I, I suspect that we will see a similar pattern as we did for the environmental factor, uh, that capital will become more readily available for those companies that are leading when it comes to diversity. Uh, companies will start to realize this and they will start addressing the issue at hand. And to sum up, I would say that in this manner, we as investors can create awareness around an important issue and we can also in, um, contribute to increase diversity uh, within the corporate and financial world. Great, excellent. Well, thank you, Julie, and thank you, Odil, for that. Um, we have a key takeaway slide that we'll pull up now. Here we go. So uh, just a, a couple of points. Remember that picture at the beginning where we saw the different figures there showing that um, you know, this diverse culture does contribute to business success in a number of different different areas. That's um, very important. Um, being proactive in terms of implementing concrete measures uh, is becoming more and more important just to remain competitive in today's uh, environment. When it comes to what we're looking for in companies, we're looking for companies that, of course, have strong business fundamentals. Uh, we have strong growth outlooks but importantly as well um, gender diversity and we had that excellent example of Microsoft um, and, and how that made it into the portfolio so that was that was good and finally I guess ultimately you as and investors or your clients they're the ones that are going to make a difference in all of this um, we can support you know a more fair and equal society by investing in these companies and and of course one way of doing that is through this strategy. So, um, so yeah, those are the points uh, to wrap up for today. If you are a, a financial advisor or a fund distributor and you're listening in today, then please, please, please do join us uh, next week because next week we will be doing um, a deep dive into the new EU regulatory landscape when it comes to ESG. And this is going to affect the way that we as an asset manager do business, but also you as an advisor, the way that you talk to your clients. So it's, it's very, very relevant and something that uh, you need to be looking at. So really recommend uh, tuning in next Wednesday. In the meantime, of course, you can always visit our Stay Alert website at nadia.lu and there you will find all of the past interviews, podcasts and Q&As. That's it for this week. I'll see you next week.